What's up, 11 a.m.? We're alive in here. Hey, I've been feeling this recently. I know there's a lot of people new to our church, maybe new to church in general. And if you're anything like me, especially when I started going to church as an adult, there's something in you as we're singing that I am who you say I am that doubts that, that questions, maybe thinks like, I shouldn't really be here in a church right now. I don't belong here. If these people knew me, they wouldn't want me here. If they knew my story, they would just send me right back out the door. Maybe on a deeper level, you think, God doesn't want anything to do with me. There's no way that he wants to use my life. He doesn't see me, he doesn't hear me. And if, if you walked in here today, I'm praying that you'd be encouraged and I wanna ask you a question that I'm gonna be asking a lot today. If that's your mentality, who told you that? Who told you that? I challenge you to say that it wasn't him. There's a lot of things we believe in our minds, a lot of lies that have turned into truths in our minds. And I'm praying today that Jesus would give you clarity, that his truth would be what penetrates to your mind as we battle all the thoughts that we have. And so Jesus, I lift up every person in this room right now. I thank you that they're here, that you brought them into this place to speak your truth to them. Would you do that today? Would we be open and receptive? And would you pour it, just pour that truth on? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 11 a.m., I feel some good energy in here. That 9 a.m., I love those people, but it was like a morgue in here this morning. I was like, am I not speaking English? Did everyone literally just fall asleep with their eyes open at the same time, except the one guy who clapped two times just, that was it, just at a random moment? So you guys ready for some church? All right, let's do this. Sit down, ask the person next to you, hey, who told you that you could sit next to me? Just kidding, why would you say that? You're monsters, we're a family here, how dare you? Say, I'm glad that you're sitting next to me. This morning, uh, the theme here in July is summer at Red Rocks is the theme right now, which is code for just kind of nothing. Oh, it's summer at Red Rocks? I had no idea. A sermon theme that gives me no boundaries. It's just like whatever you're feeling, just preach on that, which sounds great. Let the spirit lead. But for somebody like me, that's a worst case scenario. I need a theme. I need some boundaries. Otherwise, I have 17 different ideas and none of them really work on their own or together. Or if it's a week like this, this month has been draining, my brain feels fried, I've just had absolutely nothing. So I told Doug, I was like, dude, these open-ended kind of things, it's hard for me to just, just think of what topic should I share with our church? What should I talk about this weekend? He said, well, let me, I'll shoot you a couple topics just to get your mind going. And then he never did, never got back to me. <laughs> and then he, went, he was gone out of town this week, seriously, that happened. So I've been on an island all week long, just trying to come up with something. Preaching is the loneliest experience in my life. And I don't say that so you'll feel bad for me. I knew what I was getting into. But you know the week leading up to preaching, you're about to be on a stage where a bunch of people are just gonna watch you talk for a long time about a God that you don't understand and they're gonna critique everything that you do and say. It's lonely. We were watching stand-up comedy on Friday night and I was like, well, those comedians can relate to pastors because they get up in front of a bunch of people and they talk for a long time and everyone's like, not that funny. I'm not, my abs don't hurt. That wasn't worth the money at all. But the deeper I thought about it, I was like, but they actually can't relate to us because somehow stand-up comedians have this license from society, hey, you can say anything you want, offend us with everything that we all can't say, and you just go right ahead, and we'll just laugh. But if a pastor says one offensive thing, we're on YouTube, we're getting emails, somebody's trying to fight me in the parking lot after this, right? <laughs> so it's been a lonely week. It's especially lonely as a preacher when you just have no sermon topic. Monday is normally my day where I have the idea and I start putting some framework to it. Well, that didn't happen. Tuesday is team day, we're meetings all day, catching up from the weekend, getting ready for the next and other upcoming things. Tuesday night, I was starting to sweat. 
I'm like, God, you got to give me a loose idea here, man. Give me a theme, something. Doug's not texting me back. <laughs> and uh, we got our son down to bed. My wife was about to go out to dinner with some friends, and I stopped her before she went out the door. I was like, hey, you got any sermon ideas for this weekend? <laughs> what should I preach about? What does the church need to hear? And she just looks right back at me. She goes, mental health. Church can't talk about that enough. My wife's fierce, let me tell you. Yeah, 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 well, well, listen to what I said. I go, yeah, yeah, no, I agree, but I'm not gonna talk about that this weekend. Sorry, it's too big of a topic. I'm not equipped to talk about that. I don't know everything, and I have my struggles. My wife knows that better than anybody, but mine have not been with anxiety and depression like some of my friends. So I just, I'm, uh, great, thanks. And so I explained that whole thing to her, and she's like, okay, well, you asked me. I'm going to dinner. Have a great night. Good luck. And guess what happened right after she suggested that and I shot it down? I lost my mind. If you had been in my house on Tuesday night, you would have been like, I'm watching a human being lose it. I'm frantically making dinner. I'm trying so hard to get some inspiration. So I've got my computer going, YouTube sermon after sermon. Just five minutes here, not getting anything from that. 10 minutes here, that's good, but that doesn't inspire anything in me. Five minutes here, I'm not paying any attention because I just overcooked my pasta. I'm just like <laughs> frantic getting like chaotic in my own mind because I can't come up with a sermon idea. And it's Tuesday night, but it may as well be Saturday night. I'm doomed. So I'm thinking, I'm like, all right, well, the sermon thing's not working. I know what I need to do. I need to read something. Of course. It'll spark inspiration in my mind. So naturally, I went to my bookshelf and I picked up a short story by Tolstoy because I'm really deeply into Russian literature. <laughs> Just immersed in it all the time. I'm always reading that. My grandma had left me some short stories, I've never read any of them, so I was like, this is gonna be it. This is such an off-the-wall thing. I'm just gonna read this story that my grandma gave to me, and it's gonna give me this profound sermon. It's gonna change everyone's lives. It's gonna be amazing. So I read this, Two Old Men by Tolstoy. And uh, it's profound, deep, spiritual. I get to the end of it, and I close it, and I'm like, man, wow, interesting. I've got nothing from this short story for my sermon, so Matt, there you go, you try it. If you come up with something, you let me know. Sit down on my couch and I'm just defeated, discouraged. I can't even come up with a sermon idea on my own and I'm a pastor. And I start to do what we do in our thoughts. I start to spiral a little bit. I go from, I can't believe I can't even come up with a topic to, I don't even know why I preach. Why do I do this? I'm not cut out for this, obviously. Ryan just knocked it out of the park the last two weeks, and I'm going to show up, and it's just going to bring the wind out of everybody. So it's just going to be a down week at church. I'm going to have to just pick something and talk about it for a while, and everyone's going to be like, nice job, and just walk out to the parking lot. <laughs> and that starts spiraling a little more. And by the way, I'm being transparent about my thoughts, not so you'll come up to me in the lobby after and be like, hey, you're okay, but <laughs> you are an average pastor. <laughs> I'm just trying to be transparent about the mental battle that I, the guy who doesn't struggle with mental health, was having on Tuesday night. And so I, I start going all the way to like, I should just call the guys and be like, I'm, I'm done with preaching. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm hanging up the jersey. And if you want me to, please don't amen that I'm still fragile right now. You're gonna, let's do part three of that lighten your load sermon, Ryan. Come on now. Travel lighter, I know, I'm sorry. And as I'm spiraling, I'm, I'm starting to fill out job applications in my head, resign from ministry. I'm like, well, I've always wanted to be a handy guy around the house. I'm going to work at Home Depot. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> Goodbye, ministry. As I'm starting to get into those kinds of thoughts, for real, I look over and my laptop is still looping sermon clips. And there's a guy named Stephen Furtick on my screen. 
And let me tell you what, when you are losing your confidence, confidence rapidly in your preaching ability, the last guy you want to see is Stephen Furtick. Because that dude just breathes amazing sermons all the time. Oh, it just, just came to me, and I just said it in the most eloquent, quotable way ever. And I look at my computer, I'm like, put a lid on it, Furtick. I don't need you right now. Good for you. This is so effortless for you. I can't even think of a topic. And as I'm about to close my laptop, I listen to what he's talking about, and he's talking about the danger of following your feelings. I'm like, okay, oh, touche, Furtick. Somehow you know what's going on in my mind through a computer, and you preached this a year ago. Because I just followed my feelings, and I'm resigning from ministry, right? And he made this great point that there's a danger in following your feelings. If you do that, the world's going to look a lot like it does. A lot of people just living completely out of what they feel in the moment and making a mess in the process. And then, of course, brilliantly, he says, but if you follow your feeling back, don't live out of it, but you follow it backwards to the thought that it's coming from, where it's rooted, then that actually might help you make some headway in the mental battle that you're having right now. Follow your feeling back to the thought it's coming from. We all have mental battles, right? Everybody's in one. It's the battle of our lifetime, and I'm thankful I live in a time when mental health is a big conversation, even in the church, because there's a lot of Christian people who for some reason have this mentality like, well, we're Christians, we shouldn't struggle with that stuff. How dare you be depressed? Jesus died for your sins. Why are you anxious right now? Jesus told you not to be. You should just be grateful that God hasn't struck you dead yet. Oh, also, and you get heaven if he does, so cheer up. <laughs> What's wrong with you, Christian, battling in your mind? which is such a strange approach to the battle in our minds from Christian people because the Bible talks about mental health a ton. Talks about our thoughts, that really the way we live our life, it starts right here. The feelings and the actions of your life, they're starting right here with thoughts. And so uh, I, I remember this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and I thought, this is a spiritual battle that we do need to talk about. 2 Corinthians 10, three through five, it says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Hey, we don't fight like the world. We don't fight with each other. We don't fight with social media. We don't fight with money. We don't fight with politics. We're fighting a different battle than the world. On the contrary, those weapons have the divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is a spiritual issue, and the battle we're fighting is that lies become truths to us and develop strongholds, and then we live our lives based out of those lies. Our feelings and our actions come out of us based on lies that we have let set up camp and become strongholds. So this is a spiritual issue. This is supernatural, but hey, hear me on this. Don't mistakenly think that natural things can't help in the supernatural. Because I have heard some Christians say, well, just have more faith and pray more, and then you won't be anxious. Well, you won't be depressed you know, if you just get some more faith and pray a little bit more. And yeah, you should go to God and pray and communicate to him about everything, of course. But there's a lot of helpful things that might seem natural to you. Maybe the way you eat, your exercise, medicine, counseling, natural remedies. There are so many things that seem natural that are helping us, need to help us in what is a spiritual, supernatural battle. But ultimately, this is spiritual. This is a spiritual battle happening in the battle of our mind. So I'm in one Tuesday night, and I think, all right, Stephen, I'll try your good idea. I'll follow my feeling back to the thought. So my feeling is what? I'm discouraged, I'm down because I can't come up with a sermon idea. What's the thought that's rooted from? Well, I guess it's that I feel inadequate as a pastor. 
well, where, where did that come from? As I was starting to realize and trace that back to this feeling of inadequacy, I heard this question in my mind, who told you that? Who told you you were inadequate? Think about that. I'm like, well, people. People have told me that. It took me all the way back to college. It was really weird. And I remember I was new in my faith. My life was a mess. And in a college ministry, I was involved in hearing people say things about me like, he's not the real deal. He's not for real. It'll fizzle out. Don't walk with that guy. His faith, it's not real. I remember a friend of mine telling me uh, another person in our college ministry had said, man, I think it's really funny how your friend Ethan pretends to be a decent person. And back then I thought, I don't care what people say. It's me and God, right? But I realized that I just traced a feeling to a thought back to some moments that created a mindset in me that I still carry, even though I consider myself confident, man, I still have that in me. I still, as a leader, as a pastor, and really just as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, this is my struggle. I just don't feel like I'm the real deal. I'm just the funny guy or the loose cannon. I do things I shouldn't. I say things I shouldn't. But I'm not that real pastor that people need. And as I'm following that back, I'm like, well, what is that, what is that feeling mean to me? Why am I so beat up here on a Tuesday night? Well, it's because I feel like I'm letting the church down. Trace that even a little bit further. Actually, where my identity starts is in God, and so I guess what I'm saying is I feel all the time like I'm letting God down by the way I live my life, the mistakes I make. Before I had any faith, I figured God was out there somewhere and he wants nothing to do with me because of the way I'm living. He certainly can't like me. And all of a sudden, I'm realizing a stronghold that is speaking to me years later as I can't come up with something to preach in summer at Red Rocks. And as I was in that mindset, God, God doesn't like me. I'm not the real deal. I felt that question. Hey, who told you that? Felt God just prodding me like, hey, who told you that? Because I never said that. I never said you were letting me down. I've been asking you to let me in all along. All the times you're doubting me, doubting yourself, all the times you feel like you just don't belong, I, I won't use you, that I'm, I'm a mess, that you, I've, uh, you have disappointed me, that you're letting me down. No, I just am saying, let me in, because you're not gonna win this battle. You're not gonna find the wholeness and the peace that you're looking for on your own. How's that working for you? Let me in. But this is what we do as human beings. It's our tendency to think something we shouldn't get into, a, a, you know, a sin or something in our life that's coming out of these thoughts and we say, okay, God, I gotta go figure this out. I'm really sorry. I'll come back to you when I'm polished up. When my mind is right, then I'll come back to you, right? And all through human history, I've seen this question, God coming up and going, wait, but who told you that? Who told you you have to be polished up and have everything right that you're letting me down? Who told you not to come to me in those moments? We see it in the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve fall into sin. The enemy just asks some questions. Jesus talks about the enemy. He says that he is the father of lies and that his native tongue, what he speaks, his language is lies. Okay, so I speak English. The enemy of your soul speaks in lies, just whispers them to you, asks you questions, and you start to absorb those things. They become strongholds in your mind, and you start to believe that they're true. So Adam and Eve fall into sin, and God shows up in the garden, and he says, Adam, where are you? God knows the answer to every question, but this is such an important interaction between humanity and God. Where are you? And Adam says, well, I heard you in the garden, and I was naked, so I feel ashamed, and so I hid. He's like, God, don't look at this. But what he's actually saying is, I let you down. I let you down, so I ran away, because I figured we're kind of done here. It's over between us. I made a mistake. 
God's going, who told you that? Did you eat from that tree? Who are you listening to now? Who has the real estate in your mind now? What stronghold is forming right now that you believe to be true because of a mistake that you made and you think you should just run away and hide from me and that I don't want anything to do with you anymore? Anybody ever felt like that? Just me, awesome, good for you guys. <laughs> just extend your hands for the rest of this sermon and just pray for me as I just <laughs> word vomit my struggle and try to be like every single one of you. Who told you that, Adam? What does God do? Destroy them? No, he covers them. Foreshadows, hey, I'm gonna take care of business. I will redeem my kids back to me, but you've gotta start letting me in because things have changed now because your broken mind is now gonna be prone to negativity and you're gonna think a lot of things that I never said are true. And I see God coming up to his people all the time asking that question, who told you that? The Israelites, they have the Red Sea in front of them, the Egyptian army behind them, this promise of freedom they're standing there and they're all going, why did we believe that? Look at where we're standing right now. Shouldn't have listened to God. He doesn't have our back. And God goes, hey, who told you that a sea can stop you from my freedom? Who told you that? They walk through and they start this journey to the promised land. They've got a promise from God that they're gonna have a home, freedom, peace. And all along the way, they're just grumbling. Oh, we should just go back to Egypt. This isn't gonna happen. We can't, look at all those enemies in our way. Why did we listen to God? And God's looking at them all the time going, who told you that your enemies can prevail over you? I never told you that. Who told you that a weapon formed against you is gonna prosper? I never said that. And they get to their promised land and this kingdom starts and it's broken because of people and, and then an army comes in and the Philistines show up and the, they're all like, oh, well, this is, this is our doom. It's over for us. We're gonna get overpowered, overtaken here. This promise wasn't for real. And this little famous shepherd boy walks up with a mustard seed of faith and some rocks in his pocket because God whispered to him, hey, who told you that giants don't fall? Who told you that? I never said that. Watch what I can do right now. Then, in their mess, as these people set up strongholds in their minds, set up in their society, they find themselves captive in a foreign land. And God goes, hey, uh, who told you that exile lasts forever? Because they're all standing there going, we finally did it. He finally gave up on us. Look at us now. He's, he's had enough at this point. God has abandoned us. And he goes, who told you that I don't hear your prayers? Who told you that I will not bring you back home? I never said that. Centuries later, a baby's born in Bethlehem. God's going, who told you I won't redeem my kids? Who told you that? Because I never said that. And Jesus shows up and he is God's say. He is the say to us. This is what God says in the form of Jesus. Jesus, the way he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, he goes, hey, you've heard it said. He goes, hey, who told you that? Okay, you've heard it said. Religion's told you that. Politics have told you that. Money's told you that. That person's told you that. You've told you that. The enemy of your soul's told you that. But I say, here's what I say. You've been told that. Here's what I say. You've heard it said. Let me give you a say on something. He walks up to a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. And he looks at him and he goes, hey, who told you that you're defined by your sickness? Who told you that your destiny is this mat? Was it those people over there, somebody from your childhood, the day you got hurt? Who told you that? You've heard it said that this is your destiny, but I say, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. He walks up to the woman caught in adultery. He goes, hey, who told you you're defined by your sin? Those religious leaders that are dropping their stones right now because I just told them? You could throw one if you're without sin. Was it them? Did they tell you that? You heard it said. Was it the enemy of your soul who wants your life, but he'll settle for shame if he can get it right now? Is he telling you that? Are you telling yourself that? 
that this mistake that you made today is going to define you for the rest of your life. Anybody ever told yourself that? Still just me. Okay, wow. We got a great church here. Nobody struggles. Why are we even here? Who told you you're defined by your sin? You've heard it said. But I say, here's what Jesus says to her. Hey, I do not condemn you. Walk away free and go live a new life. Right? On the flip side, okay, so who told you you're defined by your sickness or your sin? Jesus sends out 72 people on a little mission trip in Luke chapter 10, and it is exciting. Everybody comes back, and they've got so much postable content. Casting out a demon here. And Jesus goes, hey, don't rejoice that the demons submit to you. Rejoice that your name's in the book of life. He's going, hey, who told you that you're defined by your success? Which sounds like a buzzkill. Like, dude, we just did a bunch of cool things for your ministry. He's saying, don't play that game because you will be an anxious, legalistic Pharisee in no time. If you're starting to measure yourself by your success, you'll soon be measuring yourself by your failures. Don't play that game. You're not defined by sin or sickness or success. You are defined by one thing and one alone, and it is my salvation that I have come to bring to you. And then Jesus goes and pays for that, and his friends, they're sitting in a room mourning, grieving. He's gone. That promise, why did we believe that? We aren't the real deal. This wasn't gonna happen. Jesus walks in the room and he goes, I'm sorry, hey, I got a question for you guys. Who told you that death has the final say? I've got the final say. And church, let me tell you, the person you want having the say in your life is the one who has the final say. You want him having the final say that creates the mindset that leads to your actions and your feelings and the way you live your life. You want coming from the guy who has the final say, right? We need those moments with Jesus. He walks up to Peter after his resurrection. Peter's just down in the dumps, right? He denied Jesus three times. He's back to fishing, back to the old life. Jesus goes, hey, Peter, do you love me? He's asking him, hey, who told you that I'm done with you? Who told you you've lost your purpose now? Who told you you're just destined to be a failing fisherman? Who told you you've lost your position with me? Because I seem to remember, Peter, that I told you I was gonna make you a fisher of men, and guess what, buddy? I've got the final say. I've got the final say in your life. Man, I want these moments with Jesus to let him ask me, who told you that? Let's start tracing this back. You've heard it said, your parent told you that, your teacher told you that, your pastor told you that, but I say. Let me read you a famous quote about mental health from Paul's letter to the Romans. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Offering yourself as a living sacrifice sounds pretty intense, right? What God's saying is, hey, you gotta let me in. You gotta let me lead. You gotta put your life in my hands. Offer it up to me. Because you're not gonna win this thing on your own. You're not gonna win this battle in your own strength. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. We read that and just think like, don't watch R-rated movies or cuss or look at naked people, right? Don't do what your culture is doing. And that's good advice, especially in a culture like ours. But this is a bigger statement. This is talking about the pattern of this world and the way that the world thinks because this passage is about mental health. And the way that the world thinks is leading to feelings and actions and lives that are, consist of what? Anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, destructive relationships, death. That's how the pattern of this world, if you start thinking like this world, that's where you're getting led. And he goes, I have good, pleasing, perfect will for you. The renewing 
of your mind through the truth of Jesus is what you need. So I wanna illustrate this to you. This whole time you've been like, man, this guy was planning on drinking a lot of water during his sermon, and then he just talked for 20 minutes and never took a sip, but I'm going to now. All right, so let's say this glass represents my mind. Okay, it's not empty, funny guy. There's something going on in here, but it's clear right now. Let's say I have a clear mind. What we start to do in our thought life, we start to think negative thoughts, sinful thoughts, whatever it is, is we start to muddy the waters. So the other night, let's take Tuesday night. Oh, well, I'm, I'm not really a good pastor. Okay, a little thought that enters my mind, and as you watch it, it's gonna start growing. That starts snowballing. People just don't take me seriously. That's always been true though, right? Because I'm not the real deal. My faith's not for real. Shouldn't be preaching. I shouldn't preach ever again. People don't want to hear what I have to say because I'm a mess. I'm struggling right now. I'm going to just let my church down. But really deeply what I'm feeling is that I'm letting God down. And I've been doing that my whole journey with him. Just letting him down. That's my thoughts, starting to muddy the waters of my brain. God can't possibly like me, okay? Seeping down, starting to become a stronghold of something I believe or reaffirming a stronghold that's been there for a long time. And if I kept going, there's a point at which this water gets so dark that you don't even notice a new drop anymore. Like a lot of our minds, we don't even detect the lie anymore. It's so dark in there that it's just, come on, come along for the ride, it's par for the course. I already believe that, that's just confirming what I already believe. And so we realize this is the state of our minds. We live in a lifetime of this. We go to church, and the pastor tells us, don't think that stuff. Don't think those depraved, evil thoughts. Sinner, follow Jesus. You should have a clear mind, okay? What are you supposed to do with your sin, with the thoughts that don't line up with what God would say about you? Repent. Right? That's what we're told. Pretty simple. You just repent. You bring that to God, right? You turn to him and you say, this is what's going on in my life. You repent. But we have this reli religious baggage version of repentance. And this is how I think in our own flesh, when we're in that mentality of, God, I'm letting you down by thinking this way, so let me take care of business on my own, and then I'll come back to you and I'm polished. This is how this looks for us, okay? You hear this sermon today, you get to your car, you're like, I'm fighting this battle. Let's go. Pull up Instagram see somebody you don't like on vacation, they're not happy. <laughs> Forget them. Hope it rains every day. And then you're like, wait, I was just at church. God, I didn't really, I'm sorry, let me grab that back. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really mean that. I don't really think that. Some crazy person's driving around on the road at 100 miles an hour, and you're like, I hope they crash their car. <laughs> Again, I'm the only person that's ever thought that. Uh-huh. For sure. Oh, I hope they crashed their car. Oh, wait. I was just at church. What is wrong with you? That's a child of God. They are who you say they are, God. <laughs> I'm not thinking that. I've got this, dude. I've got this. Don't worry about me. I'll come back later when I'm cleaning this all up. Pull up to a stoplight. Just for some reason, just naked people pop into your head. God, I swear I'm not a pervert. I barely even thought it. 
I don't think that stuff, God. I got this. I'm going to unthink that. I don't even think about it anymore. I won't think about that later either. <laughs> Killing it with my game of repentance. I've got this, God. Starts getting deeper and darker, right? I'm a failure. I have just lost this battle on my drive home. I'm just a failure, God. Oh, wait. I'm not supposed to think negatively about myself. Okay, let me grab that back. And the waters get darker, and we eventually... People probably in this room start to think, I shouldn't live this life that God gave to me, and then think, I shouldn't think that. But I already feel so burdened. I already feel so depressed. I've lost all hope, and now I feel worse because I'm not supposed to feel that way because I'm a Christian. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm repenting. I'm doing this all in my own strength. I've let you down. I'm running away. I'm going to figure this out. And then when I get polished, I'm coming back. How's that working for me? There's scripture that points you to the reality that if you just try to will in your own flesh to overcome a thought, you're actually just gonna stir it up more, which I just did. The problem is that repentance is not a frantic apology to a father who's already forgiven you. It is letting the truth of Jesus change the way you think. The Greek word metanoia for repentance in the New Testament, it literally means changing the way you think, the renewing of your mind. This passage is saying, yeah, the key to this is gonna be repenting, but it's not trying to do this on your own. Feel like you've let God down, so you gotta hide under a tree and get away from him. No, it's actually starting to let him in with some truth. So Jesus walks up with truth, and he goes, hey, who told you you're defined by your sin? Who told you you're defined by that sickness? Who told you you're defined by your success? That this is all on your shoulders. You've heard it said, but I say you're defined by my salvation. I say that you've been crucified with me, that you no longer live, and I live in you. Starts to pour some truth in there. He goes, hey, who told you that you're insignificant, that your life doesn't matter, that you've gone too far, that I don't have a purpose for you, that I don't see you, you're insignificant? You've heard it said, maybe your parent made you feel that way. Maybe that thing that happened to you made you feel that way. But here's what I say. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I know the number of hairs on your head. I call you an ambassador for my kingdom, that's how much purpose I've attached to your life. Hey, who told you, to, somebody in this room, who told you that you're alone? The enemy who loves to get you isolated? See, so whispered that and just told you you're, you're alone, nobody wants you. Jesus goes, you've heard it said, but I say that I'm with you always to the end of the age. I will never leave or forsake you. There is nothing you can do to separate from my love. And Ethan, by the way, who told you that I don't like you? Some people said some stuff in college that's attached itself to you and years and years later, you can't come up with a sermon topic? And so you're questioning your whole identity as a follower of me? Because you don't think I like you? And yet over and over in your life, over and over in my word, I say that I delight in you. I chose you. And hey, by the way, who told you that the salvation of other people is dependent on you? I've got this, buddy. We're offered the mind of Christ. Colossians says to set our minds on things above. I wanna read you this passage from Philippians 4 that just feels like this pouring into your brain. Let's see how good I am at multitasking here. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, anything is excellent or praiseworthy, you think about such things. You start thinking about those things the things of Jesus. 1 John 1 talks about walking in the light. It tells us that 
Uh, can we pull that up here? I can't remember it off the top of my head. First John chapter one. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So we start walking in the light and the blood of Jesus starts purifying us. But what is that also talking about there? It says that, sounds to me like walking in the darkness means trying to do this alone. Because it says when we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So yeah, you're praying. Yeah, you're reading scripture and the truth of Jesus is pouring into you, but you're also getting some people around you who are speaking truth to you. You go to a counselor and they start helping you see some truth in your life. You've got a group. You've got some friends who will speak truth to you. You've got a pastor who will keep reminding you of the good news every single Sunday. And hey, when it comes to the people in your life, you need those people who are gonna remind you of your identity, who are gonna come to you and say, hey, who told you you're defined by that? But you need those people to also call you on some stuff. Jesus went up to the woman caught in adultery and he goes, hey, who told you you're defined by your sin? He starts with grace. He starts with identity, saying that's not what's gonna define you, but also says, hey, who told you it's okay to stay in this life? Some of you have some friends that are just like, hey, let's just keep digging this pit together and just live in here. You need some new friends. You need some people who are gonna say, hey, you, you gotta apologize for that. Hey, that's not what's best for you right now. Hey, you're living out of your feelings. Let's start tracing this stuff together. And the more you start walking in the light, you start letting people in you started letting Jesus speak identity and what's actually true and asking you, who told you that? Trace those feelings to that thought, to that mindset. And over time, this is possible. The water's clear again. It's not fully clear. We gotta commit if we're into the water thing. It's not perfectly clear which is representative of our minds, right? We're humans. So we don't beat ourselves up when we've had a good season and we're thinking clearly and then all of a sudden stuff starts coming in and we go, oh God, I'm sorry I let you down because now I thought I'd graduate and I shouldn't think those things anymore. No, we let him in and he pours more. If this was a fully accurate illustration, this would be a waterfall, not a big jug of water. We just don't have the budget for that. The truth of Jesus is eternal. It will never run dry for you, ever. So it would just keep pouring and pouring. And notice, this jug did a pretty good job because it has a lot more water in it than what this glass can hold. You gotta keep doing this over and over daily. Today, one sermon's not gonna win the battle of your mind. This is a lifelong battle, but I'm hoping there's some tools you're being equipped today to start tracing some feelings to some thoughts and letting Jesus pour truth and letting people into your life that will do the same and all of these things in this spiritual battle start to destroy and demolish the strongholds, the lies of the enemy. And you just gotta take a sober look at your thoughts. Let me tell you something, just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. We gotta stop believing everything that we think. Just because you think you know it, doesn't mean you're right. We gotta keep learning, keep humbling ourselves. Hey, somebody in here, just because it's the way it is, doesn't mean that it has to stay that way. Hey, there's a lot of things we pour into our minds, right, all the time. Just because it's not evil doesn't mean it's good. We inundate ourselves. If you've got a smartphone in your pocket, you are pouring stuff into your mind constantly. And just because it's not a satanic ritual sacrificing an animal doesn't mean that it's good. You gotta start paying attention to everything. Who's got the real estate in your mind? Who's speaking in your mind? 
I believe this is possible. You may say, well, this is really oversimplifying a very complex issue. You don't know how dark my mind looks. And you're right. But I also know that we serve a God who says all things are possible with him and he's offered us the mind of Christ. So this can be your reality. So that's my week. Seems that you've all been doing great. All of this to say, if you're ever struggling to come up with a sermon topic, just ask your spouse and whatever they say, just agree and just preach on that. Just learn a little bit and then just preach or be hard-headed and disagree and then prepare yourself to struggle with exactly what they just said for the whole week and try to fight for some freedom and go tell the story because you're gonna preach on that. Let me close with this story. As I was thinking back through this week and this journey that I've been on, losing my mind a little bit, uh, Monday, I said that I didn't really ever get the chance to do my outlining of my sermon. And, and when my son naps, that's when I do that on Monday. It's Tuesday. We're together. He naps. I'm going to get ready for the sermon this week. Well, my brain was not firing. So I did a workout, made some lunch. And as soon as I sat down after that, thinking now my brain's going to be going, opened my laptop. All you parents know, Zeke woke up. He's banging on his door. He's up from his nap. And I thought, well, I guess I'm not going to get to work on my sermon today. Him and I go down to the neighborhood pool. There's some storm clouds. We walk into the pool and they blow the whistle to get everyone out of the water. And I'm like, buddy, I'm sorry. We got all ready and came down here, but we're not gonna be able to swim. Do you wanna just go over to the park next door? He says, yeah. So we go over to the park and within five minutes, we're in a torrential downpour, hiding under a tree. And I'm standing there like, this is not a good dad moment. Because my son, he's two, we talk about living out of your feelings. That's what a two-year-old does. The amount of times that dude has punched my dog, just because just now I'm mad. And my dog just looks at me like, you know I could eat him so easily. <laughs> Praise God that he hasn't yet. Living out of his feelings, and I see more and more of these feelings that I just wish my son wouldn't have to feel. Sometimes he's anxious now. Sometimes he's angry, sometimes he's afraid. Well, one of the things he's afraid of is thunder. Perfect to be under a tree in a thunderstorm. We didn't drive to the pool, we're, we're running home. He's told me, Daddy, thunder, so fairy. And I'm like, I'm about to be the moment that creates the mindset of fear in my son's life. Great job, Dad. But I love thunderstorms. And I'm standing there with my son, I'm thinking, he doesn't need to be afraid of this. So I just say, Zeke, we're already in our swim trunks. Should we go play in the rain? He looks at me like, can we, should we? A little timid, so I just run out into the rain and then soon he just follows me. And we're just running around, having the time of our lives. We get on the playground, there's this big curly slide and depending on like where the moon is, he's afraid of that slide sometimes. I have no idea why. And so I'm like, I'm going down the slide. So I shoot down that thing. I literally almost fell forward onto my face because it was a water slide. We are soaked and it's just pouring rain. And I'm like, Zeke, come on, dude. And so he gets the courage and he comes flying down. Thank God I was at the bottom because that dude was shot out of a cannon. He literally was airborne coming off the slide and I catch him in the air. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm ruining him. He's afraid of this slide. He's afraid of thunder. It's gonna be the most traumatic day of his life. And I look down and he is laughing so hard. And he goes, daddy, do it again. So I send him back up and he comes flying down and I catch him and I send him up and he comes flying down and I catch him. And then I start acting like, hey, it's probably time to go. And he goes, one more time. So we're chanting, one more time. And he goes up, comes down, one more time, comes down over and over. And the whole time I'm doing the scientific Mississippi thing with lightning, 
that we've just all mutually agreed as a society. It's the correct way to know where light, how far away lightning is. Uh, if it's five Mississippi, that means the lightning is five miles exactly away. I'm like, well, really? Because there's clouds everywhere and there's lightning in that direction and that direction, but we're just all on the same page. Seek three Mississippi, so three miles away. We should probably head up to the house. And this kid who was scared of thunder is now laying in the gutter outside of my house as a river of water is flowing down our street just laughing. His feeling, because he was with his dad, it's changed from fear to joy. Now it turns to anger because he has to go inside. So it's not fixed, but it's progress. But it stuck with me all week, probably because it was the most fun moment I've had with my son. Probably because I had a water illustration for my sermon. But I think God was tapping me on the shoulder, giving me a little tip of the cap at the beginning of this week. Because here's who I want my son to be. I want him to be the kid that other kids walk up to and go, who told you that thunder's not scary? My dad did. Who told you that you can go out in the storm and you can be okay? My dad did. Actually, when I'm with my dad, I can go down a slide in the middle of the storm. I can thrive in the middle of a storm. Hey, who told, hey Zeke, who told you that storms don't stop us? Because I've heard it said, and he go, no, 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 here's what my dad says about storms. I want my son to have the mind of Jesus. That sees the storm, not naive, not happy-go-lucky, everything's fine, but when the storm is raging, that he goes, there's still peace and clarity possible, even right now. And I want him to be a calming presence in the middle of the storm that's around him in his own mind, in his own life, in the lives of the people, just like Jesus, who just wakes up casually from a nap in a storm while everybody's going, storms destroy us, they're gonna kill us, we're done for, and he goes, hey, who told you that? I've got the final say here. The storm in your life doesn't have the final say, I've got the final say. I want my son to have that mind. Hey, Zeke, who told you that your sin doesn't define you? Oh, my dad did. Who told you your sickness or your success doesn't define you? My dad told me that. He always told me that I was only defined by the salvation that Jesus died for me to have and the resurrected life that he walked out of a tomb to give me. Zeke, who told you that you could be okay right now when nobody else is? My dad told me that because I've got the mind of Christ. And even in my darkest moments, hey, who told you right now that you're, you're not letting God down? Who told you not to run away from him and you just did something so stupid or you just thought something you shouldn't? Who told you that? My dad told me that. He said, no, 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 you let me in right now. You let me in. That's what my dad told me. You let your heavenly father in in those moments. And man, that's what I want your life to look like. I want you to be one of those people that goes, I've heard it said, somebody told me that, but it wasn't him. And I'm gonna start listening to what he says. I'm gonna start pouring this truth. All of the weapons that I've got, I'm destroying these strongholds because the person that you want to have the say in your life is the one who has the final say on everything, and that's Jesus Christ, amen? Would you guys stand to your feet? Let's worship. Jesus, thank you. I thank you that you have offered us to have a mind like yours. I thank you that peace is possible, that clarity is possible, and Lord, I just pray for my family in here. Lord, that you would give them strength right now to be honest in their thoughts, that they would start tracing feelings and things they believed about themselves for far too long. I pray that identities would be planted today in you and that we would continue to fight together this battle in our minds. Would we have your peace? Would we have minds like you, Jesus? Would we be people who let you have the final say in our lives?